The teachings of General Conference are the considerations the Lord would have before us now and in the months ahead. Our marching orders for each six months are found in the General Conference addresses. For the next six months, your conference edition of the Ensign should stand next to your standard works and be referred to frequently. I encourage you to read the talks once again and to ponder the messages contained therein. I exhort you to study the messages of this conference frequently, even repeatedly, during the next six months. You're listening to the Conference Talk Podcast, where it's conference weekend every weekend. Each weekend on this show, we discuss talks from the most recent general conference of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. We'll share some insights, make some connections, and hopefully have a bit of fun. I'm your host, Matthew Watkins, and today we're going to be discussing Elder Renlund's amazing address, Jesus Christ is the Treasure. And this is a treasure of a talk, so I've invited my friend Brad McBride from thusbc.com on here to share his thoughts about it. Yeah, I'm Brad McBride. I'm happy to be back. I'm glad that I've never said anything that would get me put on the blacklist for <laughs> your podcast. It's always, it's always enjoyable to me and it's instructive. I'm happy to be here. But overall impressions of the talk, what did you think? Starting out with King Tut. Oh, King Tut. I immediately thought of Steve Martin. Do you know that reference? No, no, I don't. Yeah, but you need to look it up. It's just called King Tut. It was a song that made it on the charts, but it premiered on Saturday Night Live, and he had this whole Egyptian gig going with the dancing and the pharaoh outfit, and it was hilarious. Now, if I had known the line of So anytime I hear King Tut, my brain instantly goes to Steve Martin. So when Elder Renlund said that, first thing I typed in my notes was Steve Martin. <laughs> but then he, he told the story of how King Tut's tomb was found. And that was interesting because I didn't know these details about how they're always just looking in the wrong place. So Elder Renlund takes this, this analogy of the Egyptologist searching for King Tut's tomb all over the Valley of the Pharaohs only to find out it's right underneath their right underneath their feet, right when they're about to, you know, it's, it's the last door experience, right? Right when they're about to shut things down, they finally find it at the last, at the last possible moment. And he brings this great phrase of Jacob talking about how the Jews looked beyond the mark, how God wanted to reveal his gospel in its plainness, and they weren't having it. They wanted things that they couldn't understand. They wanted what was dramatic and exciting. He's like, hey, fine, I'll give you Isaiah. <laughs> yeah. How's that for mysterious for you? Yeah. Yeah, it's true. I, I know I know people who have left the church because they got caught up in looking beyond the mark. They were caught up in things the church wasn't doing that they thought the church should be doing, or things that weren't preached that they thought should be preached. And instead of focusing on what we have, they started becoming more obsessed with what we don't have. And I can see that. People do look beyond the mark. Well, just a few months ago, we had that horrible news story of that was a 16-year-old that got abducted and they thought he was the Davidic servant because they got all, you know, really, really focused on some obscure passages in the Old Testament and to the exclusion of the revealed words of the the prophets of God. And we see this on a smaller scale. The, the brethren seem to have this concern, at least, that our tendency to go beyond the mark extends into where we rely too much on, and dare I say this about ourselves, Latter-day Saint podcasts, you know, Right. It's where we take our like gospel hobbies 
And that becomes our source of spiritual nourishment. And the brethren are really, really getting antsy about that. I know this because they started passing out, you might see this at your state conferences soon, a little flyer called Principles for Ensuring Doctrinal Purity. We'll link it in the notes. And this was referenced in an earlier talk, I think it was with Elder Pingree, also this conference, where they come out and saying, guys, seriously, focus on the manual, focus on the scriptures. It's okay to speculate. It's okay to hypothesize, but don't bring that into Sunday school. Don't spend all your time trying to impress people with, you know, oh, here's, you know, a list of all these fun evidences of the Book of Mormon, which are neat, which are cool, but they don't edify. Right. But don't matter. Well, I have an example of that. Just Sunday, last Sunday in Sunday school, we had two comments made that were based on podcasts that were both not doctrinally correct. So the teacher had to stop and say, you know, I appreciate the comment, but here's what the truth is and had to correct the podcast. And I will say as a blogger, who blogs mainly about religious things, I try really hard to back up anything I say. And if, if I say anything that conflicts with what the doctrine or what's being taught is, call me out. Call me out. If you look at the Brethren's Conference talks, there are footnotes all over the place. Some of them are paragraphs of text and exposition, and they're fantastic to read, but usually they're, here's the scripture from which I'm drawing this teaching. They don't go off the reservation. They say really powerful, really interesting things without saying something that's questionable. Right. Yeah, too many people are seeking for something new beyond the mark, trying to find something new and exciting. Hopefully, people listen to people like Elder Redland and realize that there's enough right here beneath our feet to, to keep us happy and save us. As he talks about Jesus, he gets, starts getting into the points of the talk. There are two main things in this talk that I personally I've had experience with it. It's really improved my life and my spirituality. And the first one, he talks about the daily opportunity to repent. He says, sometimes we undervalue how great this offered blessing is. And he tells a little bit of story about when he was eight years old, right after he got baptized, he thought, you know, if I were to get hit, if I were to get killed by a truck right now, I'll never be as clean as I am right now. So it might be a pretty good idea. I have those thoughts sometimes on Sunday. It's like when I walk out of sacrament meeting, I'm cleaner than I've been the entire week. If I were to get hit by a bus, that would be the time to do it. You know, He said that I had mistakenly presumed that the water of baptism washed away sins, which I think a lot of people believe. Mm-hmm. But he says, not so. In the years since my baptism, I've learned that sins are cleansed by the power of Jesus Christ through his atoning sacrifice as we make and keep the baptismal covenants. And this gets us into a, what he calls a virtuous cycle of, of repenting and of renewing our baptismal covenants. And we just keep doing that with daily repentance. And when I understood that for me, it was kind of a, a watershed moment for me in trying to feel like I'm walking through this earth as clean as I can. And to answer that temple recommend question, are you worthy? is that if I get up in the morning and I pray and I thank the Lord for what I've got and tell him I'm going to do that day, and if that night I review my day and repent for the things that I messed up that day because every day I do, then when I go in to take the sacrament, I feel that I'm partaking of the sacrament worthily and preparedly, and I feel the sanctification that comes with that. If I just save up my repenting for during the sacrament hymn, I don't think it flies. It, it needs to be that daily attempt of trying to repent so that when you offer all that on the table, 
when the sacrament's presented, we can push that away. Elder Oaks, in his talk, Renewing Our Covenants, he said, We are commanded to repent of our sins and to come to the Lord with a broken heart and a contrite spirit and partake of the sacrament. When we renew our baptismal covenants this way, the Lord renews the cleansing effect of our baptism. We are made clean and can always have his spirit with us. He includes partaking of the sacrament, which we'll get into more in a minute. But those, one of the earliest things I learned in primary was the fourth article of faith. Faith, repentance, baptism, and the gift of the Holy Ghost. And people like to add endure to the end onto that. I think endure to the end is just doing the first four over and over again. Repeat, yep. Repeat, yeah. And that's what we do every week of our lives. We have faith enough to repent, and we renew our covenant, and the Holy Ghost cleanses us. We don't do that once. We do that weekly for a whole lot. And and I would add it's it's more than weekly. And this is something that I've been I've been studying recently. I remember going to baptismal services, and this still happens, where they'll get up and they'll tell the new invest the the new member or the the kid, you are the cleanest person in this room right now, just as clean as the day you were born. And then Elder Renlin says, Well, not necessarily. No. It, it doesn't we, we, we very much have kind of imputed the idea that it washes away sins in that moment, but that's not scripturally supported per se. Elder Renlin in another talk that I'll, I'll link in the show notes specifically talks about, yeah, that, that's a bit of a false, false idea that we have, that there's this night and day just sudden, whoosh, you're, you're, you're clean. It, it's very much a process, not an event. And then in the 12th footnote of this talk, he says the same thing about the sacrament. He says, the sacrament was, however, not instituted as a specific means of securing a remission of our sins. Right. And th- that's really interesting because that, all the time I've heard people talk about the sacrament, they, they basically describe it as like rebaptism light, right? It's like, oh, you right. just, you know, it, it's impractical to go and get dunked every week. And so we have the sacrament, which does the same thing. But the more I read from Elder Bednar and Elder Reynolds in the scriptures, the more I realize that's not what it is. And I'm kind of selling it short when I look at it that way. And when I think that I have to wait until Sunday when I partake of the sacrament to be forgiven, that's like saying, oh, I have to wait until the day that my Costco membership expires to actually go shopping there. Right. I just say that's a valid point. Oaks, in, in another talk that I have in front of me, says that the sacrament is the completing act of repentance. That finishes it off, which implies that it's a whole process that gets to that point. It's not just the sacrament. And so we're, we're selling ourselves, we're selling, as Elder Uchtdorf says, we're living beneath our privileges mm-hmm. when we, we, we put so much emphasis on the sacrament as being, oh, I have to wait till then to be clean. Now, that's not to say that it's unnecessary or that, or that that lessens its importance at all. Elder Renlund here, he said, our spiritual foundation is weakened when we voluntarily skip sacrament meeting. Or when we do not focus on the Savior during the sacrament meeting. That last half sure hit me, but the first half, real quick, when he talks about how it's weakened if we voluntarily skip the sacrament meeting, I want to link another fantastic talk that I'll link in the show notes, where he said that when we do not partake of the sacrament weekly, we are putting ourselves in grave spiritual peril. And he talked about when he was a doctor how he just bent over backwards knowing that he was in spiritual danger just by nature of his job of not being able to partake of the sacrament weekly. So if there's anyone who will tell you, you know, the sacrament is not something to take lightly, it's Elder Renlund. He is, he is a dog on that subject. But the second part, or when we do not focus on the Savior during the sacrament saying, this also is spiritual death trap. That hit me. 
Yeah. Well, I have a personal story about the weekly sacrament. When I was bishop, probably the second year I was bishop, I had a prompting that during tithing settlement, I was going to challenge everybody in the ward to not miss taking the sacrament the next year. Wow. And some people just kind of rolled their eyes and said, they said, what about vacation? I said, including vacations. We drag our kids to church wherever we were in the country. You know, the, the, the ward in Oceanside, California on the 4th of July weekend has about 2,000 people. <laughs> but I, ch- I challenged everybody in the ward, and I thought, well, that's, well, I don't know how it went. I know it was really good for our family. A few years later, uh, one of the brethren, who was kind of a half-in, half-out brother in the church, came to me, and he said that that challenge was a, the biggest spiritual turning point he had in his life, including its mission. Whoa. And a- after that challenge to attend, they their family became all in, and he's serving as a bishop right now. And he attributes it to taking the sacrament every Sunday changed their spiritual outlook. And so I don't know how other people were impacted, but I know that one brother, it, it made all the difference. And uh, maybe that prompting was for him. I don't know. It surely didn't hurt everyone else. It sure it, it blessed my family. And it, it helped me spiritually. It helped me in the, as an example to my kids that, you know, this is what we do on Sunday. It doesn't matter if we're at the beach. It doesn't matter if we're in the mountains. We find the church. And we attend. And so we plan our vacations around that. Okay, where are we going to be on Sunday so we can go to church? Uh, another brother was driving from Salt Lake to Phoenix one time, and he realized it was Sunday about church time. So he, he was just looking at all the churches to see which one had a full parking lot, <laughs> jumped out in his jeans and his shirt and ran in and got there just in time for the, the opening hymn and stayed through and protected the sacrament, hopped back in his car and drove to Phoenix. I'm like, do you regret it? And he goes, no, it was one of the best days of my life. So, yeah, it's it's important. It's wonderful. And I think one of the key things in that is the the last line of the sacrament prayer that we'll have the Holy Ghost to be with us. I believe that there's a couple problems in not taking the sacrament regularly. And that first one is that you don't finalize that repentance process that Elder Oaks referred to, but you also jeopardize your ability to have the Holy Ghost with you. And if it goes on a week or two, it can maybe get by okay, but if it starts becoming two months or three months or four months, the Holy Ghost is going to start distancing because you're walking around with a whole bunch of unresolved sin. So it becomes a, a worthiness issue then. And I worried me a lot during COVID that people weren't able to take the sacrament. You know, we could do it in our home, but I know in some areas people were only allowed to once a month or even, you know, every few months. And I thought, man, Oof. I don't understand that. I don't understand that. Yeah, I, I would never want to go a quarter without taking the sacrament. I think I, I think it would do damage to me spiritually. As you were talking about COVID, I had a unique experience during COVID where there were a few weeks where my family was out of state and I was the only person at home. And so administering the sacrament just to myself. Now, all the sacrament prayers are written in plural form, right? That they may always have his spirit with them. And it's weird because now I'm talking about myself in third person plural, which just sounds kind of weird. Right. But right as I finished saying the prayer, I silently went through and read it to myself, substituting in first person singular that I may always have his spirit to be with me. Ooh, I bet that was good. First of all, having the kids gone was, you know, magnify your ability to feel the spirit during the sacrament times a hundred. But partaking of the Lord's Supper, the party of one, right? Mm-hmm. To have this one-on-one experience and directly apply the sacrament directly to myself was a tremendous 
outpouring of just spiritual feeling and peace and renewal and sanctification that refocused me. And I said, well, I need to do that more often during my sacrament experience. When Elder Renlund says, hey, he says, hey, it's bad to skip the sacrament. And it's almost, he didn't say equally, but it's sort of implied. It's equally bad when we do not focus on the Savior during the sacrament. I know that I've had this amazing opportunity in my life to partake of the sacrament on every continent except for Antarctica. Well, what, slacker, what, what's holding you back? <laughs> I know. Well, there's not enough penguins to form a quorum. <laughs> but the, and I, I know that wherever it is, the humblest of circumstances or the fanciest of circumstances, whatever language it's in, it's all of incredible worth to whoever participates. And it's just such a beautiful part of life that I, I really can't go too long without it. And that not wanting to go too long without it ties in really well to his comments on the temple. I live right around the corner from the temple, but it's closed. And they keep pushing back the date when it's going to reopen, and I'm just itching to get back there. So how close are you to the nearest one? Is it- About four hours. I think, there's, there's, I think there's one in Memphis. I know there's one in Knoxville. I have one 15 minutes and another one 25 minutes. Yeah, Intermountain West. <laughs> I don't know. There's something to be said for the people that have to plan and make a journey to go do it because then you, you don't flake at the last minute because you didn't feel like going or something like that. He says, with a temple close at hand, it can be easy to let little things get in the way of attending, saying to ourselves, well, I'll just go another time. Living close to a temple does bring greater, greater flexibility in scheduling time but that very flexibility can make it easier to take the temple for granted. That is so true. Amen. Mm-hmm. Amen. doesn't take much to scuttle a temple light when you know you can do it the next day or the next morning even. I, I made a deal with my wife that if we're going to cancel our temple appointment, there's never a cancel, there's a reschedule. On the website, I am not going to hit cancel until we select the next date that we're going to go. And you know that song, Don't It Always Seem to Go, yeah. that you don't know what you got until it's gone? Yeah, Boy, during COVID, and then now right here with the National Temple closed, it's like you start to feel like a hunger for it, starving for it. But then when it's open, you know you're you're so excited for a few weeks, and then it's normal again. It's true. It's very true. I love that he brought up Naaman in the talk. I love Naaman. I love that story. There's just so much meat to unpack in the story of Naaman, the leper who was trying to find Elisha to, to uh, be healed. He followed him, even though he didn't quite get it and didn't know what to expect, but he was blessed for his faith and following, even though he didn't necessarily understand how it worked, which isn't bad for somebody that's not even of the faith. You got to give Naaman props for humbling himself enough to, to be willing to take that counsel and to be healed. When I think of Naaman, I think of the counsel that Alma gave his sons in Alma 37, where he talks about the easiness of the way. We're putting temples all over the place. Their brethren's goal is to try and get temples within two hours of 90% of the church population here soon. And they're building temples at an extraordinary rate to accomplish that. And we're so grateful for that. But they're very concerned that we're going to start taking it for granted. And like Naaman, he was willing to go the world. He was willing to conquer villages, you know, go get a golden girdle from the Amazons, you know, seven apples from something like a Herculean task. Some, some great thing. Exactly. And Elisha's like, First of all, sends a servant, ultimate insult, right? It says, just go in this dirty river, river, bathe seven times and be clean. And he's just, that's too easy for to be worth my time. Right. How often do we feel insulted when the Lord gives us easy things? It's true. 
with a lot of the changes that have been made since President Nelson took over, a lot of the things about being LDS got easier. Mm-hmm. There's less church time, there's less activities, there's less less events, there's less lessons, there's less callings to be had. Less Mormon vocabulary. Right. There's just a lot of less things that make it a lot easier, unless you look past that and realize how much harder it got. Because it's depending on us as parents and individuals and families to to lift and make those things happen, when before, church could just be part of your everyday life. Now it's not. It seems easier on the surface, but it's a lot tougher, I think. It's more accessible, but the nourishment is not as easily obtained. Would that be a fair way to say it? Yeah, I think so. You you can't coast through church anymore and expect to be nourished. Yeah. And it's said that this isn't a sifting, but it sure feels like one. And the center of that sifting is Elder Renlund's final point where he talks about the prophet. And I love when the brethren testify of the calling of President Nelson. These are men who get to work with him and experience firsthand the process of seeing revelation of God poured out upon his prophet. Boy, I'd love to be a fly on the wall for that, some of those meetings sometimes. Oh, yeah. And, and now we see it with such conviction and such love. You know, it's wonderful. I do say, I feel the same way. I love that we have a prophet of the Lord on the earth. I don't have as big an audience to tell people that, but <laughs> I feel it. I'm happy to share it with your audience and say, I love President Nelson. I, I have a testimony that he is the prophet. I just like the prophet who went before him and before him for him. David O. McKay was the first prophet that I really understood was the prophet of God. So that dates me, there you go. But I believe and I have faith, I choose to have faith in what the prophet teaches. Thank you for that testimony. When Elder Renlund speaks about this, he speaks in very stark terms. He said, When we trust God's prophet on the earth today and act on his counsel, we will find happiness and we too can be healed, like Naaman. We need to look no further. And that statement, wow, that just rings really hard because right now, and of course, this goes back to what he talked about earlier about not looking beyond the mark, of not going beyond the basic doctrines. Again, maybe it's fun to speculate stuff for a hobby. Hobbies are fine. When we try and look to them for spiritual nourishment, that's where we cross a line. And I feel like there are so many voices, even inside the church, that are putting asterisks after the statements that the prophets make. Influencers keeping people in the church, maybe under false promises or pretenses of change and everything. Well, you know, yeah, the brethren say that, but here's this alternate kind of a variant, uh, this this kind of branch version of the gospel that you can kind of have your cake and eat it too and have it both ways. And there's all this discussion going on about, well, you know, is the prophet fallible? And if he's fallible, we can't trust him. There's all that discussion. I really like what Jacob Hansen says. He says, look, we talk so much about prophetic fallibility. We don't talk about prophetic reliability. The president of the church and the quorum of the 12 are the most reliable sources you're going to find on earth. Have I ever followed their counsel and been worse off for it? No. Have I ignored their counsel and been worse off for it? Yes. Every single time. <laughs> Every single time. An amazing batting average, yes. <laughs> yeah. We just read and studied about Nephi and Lehi and the uh, plates of Laban and all that stuff. And everybody talks about Nephi 3.7, I will go and do the things the Lord commands. But if you go a chapter earlier in chapter 2, he was praying to the Lord that his heart would be softened so he could believe his dad. He wasn't murmuring, but he didn't believe Lehi either, just like his brothers. He needed to pray, and after 
he prayed and got a witness that his dad was indeed a prophet and chosen of God. Well, then it was, I will go, I will do the things the Lord commands. And he was amazing. But he didn't get that way just by happenstance. He got that way because he prayed. And a friend of mine thought of an idea that that was one of the most important prayers in the history of the world. Because with that, we wouldn't have a Book of Mormon. Yeah, I thought, wow, I knew it was important, but I didn't think about that. But yeah, and so what he's saying, if we know and listen to the prophet, we're going to definitely be rewarded with strength to face life's challenges. You know, it's it's a lot easier if you start at a baseline of, yes, I believe that this man is called of God, instead of having to wrestle every single thing that comes out of his mouth. Yeah, exactly. It's it's what are the assumptions you go into? What is the starting point? You start by saying, well, he's just a man, and now I'm going to try and wiggle a few instances where he may be inspired, or do you say, he's the prophet of God, and then there are some instances where prophets occasionally speak, and they're not speaking as prophets, and we can deal with those exceptional cases later. Yeah, it, it really is turning things on its head. It's saying the burden of proof when it comes to members of the church. I don't know if burden of the proof is the right term, right term, but the burden of proof is on us to be loyal to God and to follow his prophets. It's not on the prophet to prove himself to the members of the church. I think that's beautifully phrased. Well, thank you. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Conference Talk Podcast. This episode, we discuss Elder Renlund's talk, Jesus Christ is the Treasure. If you enjoyed this episode, give us a five-star rating. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, and everywhere you get podcasts. You can find links to all our podcast platforms on our website, conferencetalk.org, where you can follow us on social media, drop us a comment, check out the resources we mentioned, or learn more about us, your hosts. If you want to follow me, Matthew Watkins, you can find me on Twitter at Joyful Repenter or my blog at powerinthebook.com. And big thanks to Brad McBride for joining us today. Pick up one of his books that are always awesome or check out his blog at thusweesee.com where he's sharing all sorts of wonderful spiritual nuggets and gassy bears. But while we always appreciate new followers, it's better to follow the prophets and apostles themselves. Remember, although we love speaking about the church and our leaders, we do not speak for them. Everything said on this podcast represents our own personal opinions, for the which we invite you to tune in next week on the Conference Talk Podcast. 